Today's episode of Robin's Podcast is sponsored by NatureBox. The best thing about getting your own NatureBox, you never have to worry about your own banana chip etiquette. Our listeners right now can get 50% off their first order with promo code RHAP at naturebox.com. Start snacking healthier by having great tasting NatureBox delivered right to your door and get 50% off your first order with promo code RHAP at naturebox.com. Chapter 20. Oh, wait, no, no. <laughs> no, this is not a real chapter of the oh, evolution strategy. Man. Epilogue. Epilogue nope. of Heroes versus Villains starts now. God, we're back. The ghosts of <laughs> Russell in Boston. Rob, we've never gone away. Hey, Russell, look, shut up. I won. You still haven't won. What do you want I'm from still- me? I'm super too. I haven't gone anywhere either. Even though I'm on the upcoming season game changers, I'm still stuck inside okay. of this audiobook. Somebody please help me trap. I'm trapped. I'm trapped. I'm trapped. All right. People are going to be very confused, Josh Wiggler. <laughs> so uh, nice to be back together with you. Yes, indeed. Always nice to be back together with you, Rob. I hope that nobody's confused. If you're even listening to this podcast, I have to assume that you've listened to all 700 hours of the evolution of strategy. Mm, maybe you have some people who are TEOS curious who are checking uh-huh. this podcast out, or it just came on after they finished listening to something else. But let me explain what we are doing here today, that way back when, when the Survivor cast for Game Changers was officially dropped on February 8th, Josh and I podcast, and we said, hey, wouldn't it be fun to re-listen to one chapter of TEOS and do sort of commentary and answer feedback questions and what chapter should it be and we thought well since you have three of the heroes versus villains people coming back for this season for game changers and it's the most epic of seasons and TEOS the evolution of strategy our 30 season survivor rewatch audiobook chapter why don't we do that and Josh What's even more amazing than us doing a 300-hour audiobook, I think, might be the fact that you and I both completed a re-listen to a 17-hour chapter of that audiobook during this week. I don't know how that was possible. Uh, the greatest thing was was going back. I haven't listened to a second of the evolution of strategy in about a year. I feel like it's been a while since I've gone back to the audiobook. Uh, and the very first thing that we talk about in this chapter, in chapter twenty, as we're starting our heroes versus villains conversation, is the process of recording the evolution of strategy, and we describe it as Chinese food, like binging on Chinese food and feeling really good and smart and awesome in the moment and the very next day being like wait what happened what happened the other day what did we just do i want to do that again though let's keep doing it let's keep doing it and i really feel like that holds up that that is still the experience i have with the evolution of strategy that we spent hundreds of hours talking about survivor and so much of it is either gone or a distant memory and likewise i kind of feel similar going through the actual re-listen of the evolution of strategy that i feel like it's really hard to hang on to some of this stuff so kudos to people who are listening to this yes uh week after week as we were dropping tens of hours of uh of survivor conversation on you guys it's really impressive it was hard enough to do 17 hours this week 
Yeah, the way my brilliant Savava brain works, it's sort of like, imagine like a, a chipmunk with like uh, all these acorns. And I can sort of like, oh, like I, I can, you know, shove them all back into my cheeks and hold them for a limited amount of time and then podcast about them. And then quickly they will like uh, all like I can't do it for long. So the, luckily, I, I don't know. Reloaded I like I, that information <laughs> back into my brilliant brain. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about the chipmunk metaphor. I feel like the Chinese food one holds up a little bit yeah. better i would prefer a dirt squirrel if that's where you were going <laughs> a dirt go. squirrel okay or a silas chip gaither monk i don't know but we are back we've listened to all of evolution of strategy chapter 20 we'll be talking a lot about heroes versus villains and sort of now that we are seven years away from that but uh, about two years away from when we recorded this and then we've had another all-star season to sort of process maybe a little bit of a teos chapter four preview here but we'll be looking back at heroes versus villains and sort of trying to glean anything extra that we can with the return of Sandra and Suri and JT and answering some of your feedback questions, Josh. But first, yeah, speaking of the evolution of strategy, Survivor has evolved yet again. A new twist was announced that you had a piece that you posted on Parade.com. You spoke with Jeff Probst about a new twist to the game that's going to be a part of Game Changes. The game has changed. It's changed. It's flawed, so let's change it. So there is a change coming to Survivor 34. I'm sure a lot of Survivor fans have already read your articles and uh, even your interview that you have coming with uh, Jeff Probst, but for the people that are are just getting their survivor information via podcast i thought it would be fun to sort of talk this through a little bit yeah well i said it in in the tweet but i'd love to hear it official do you've got the breaking drop you got the breaking news drop handy breaking news are happening now yes are happening a couple of days ago but are happening now in terms of the podcast coverage yes so there is a new rule in place for survivor game changers or a tweak of a rule at least a change to the game and that change is in the event of a tie vote in the past there has always been the opportunity to re-vote to change your vote if you want to break the tie that way before segueing into the traditional tiebreaker that is the open forum have to reach a unanimous decision if you do not reach such a decision then you guys have to go and draw rocks. Um, the revote is gone for Survivor Game Changers. There is no revote. If you tie it up, then you go straight to the open forum. And if you can't figure it out there, you go straight to rocks. So one step has been removed. What's your take on this, Rob? What do you think about all this? Josh, I'm just so curious about why. Why did we do this and why did we do this now? Because we just came out of a season in Survivor Millennials versus Gen X where you can argue that the dramatic high point of the entire series comes at the final 10 when David Wright's five and Zeke's five really are engaged in this very dramatic standoff game of chicken damn at tribal council and they're going back and forth and hey it's we got what is it five votes Hannah five votes Zeke who's gonna switch are you gonna switch are you gonna switch and we have Jessica Lewis who's freaking out we have a very tense revote and then it comes up the same and then we end up going to rocks At that point, I just feel like that the natural conclusion is when something doesn't go well, that's when you tweak. And I'm not sure what was wrong with the way it was set up that would make them tweak it after that particular season. Yeah. 
Well, I think it was that moment that caused uh, Probst and company to adjust the rule or to introduce the new rule. I mean, at the time, it was kind of murky because I had no idea what was happening on Millennials versus Gen X. But Jeff had said in the interview, which was conducted in June of 2016, uh, he mentioned that we, we were in production on the most recent season. And it occurred to us that there is this free look into the future, that if you have the numbers to split a vote, you can split a vote and you can just find out that way who has an idol or who doesn't have an idol mm-hmm. uh and that word stuck in his craw he says free i didn't like the word free i don't think anything in survivor should be free so we're changing it up um in a recent interview i did with jeff i got to speak with jeff this past week for a piece that's going to be on the hollywood reporter uh and jeff spoke about how this one's on me I can't say our entire team loved this idea, but I get frustrated in the first few episodes when we do two tribes and there are 10 people and an alliance of seven will force a split vote to see if there's an idol just because they can and there's no invoice. My philosophy on Survivor is everything should cost you something. This doesn't cost you anything. So let's try doing this. You can try to split the vote, but if you're wrong and it ends up in a tie, you're going to go to rocks. So there are two ways this can work in terms of the big picture. One is that everyone's going to go, well, let's avoid ties. Let's just have nine to one votes and eight to one votes. And that could happen, but only for a short while. Alliances are going to kick in. The other option is that somebody on the bottom could force a tie to get themselves out of a jam and force a rock draw so they can get a second life. So we'll see how it goes this season. Maybe we'll do it again next season. We may try something else. We might abandon it and go right back. But what we wanted to accomplish this season with Game Changers is constantly giving them opportunities to play. And fans are going to see this season that there are all sorts of things in play. So my big question is, what if it's a vote split that's some sort of like a 3-3-2? What about the two people that didn't end up? voting in the tie they don't have the opportunity to change their vote i guess not there's no revote. yeah it would be the two people who are caught in the three three those people are now the people up for consideration and failing a unanimous decision they're going to be immune okay <sighs> you know who knows we have no idea how it's going to play out you know i've been trying to wrap my head around numerically how this is going to work i was on with dom and colin the other night they're a lot smarter than i am So Dom was really firing a lot of different possibilities that I can't quite track. Uh, I think it's going to be one of those things where we kind of have to wait and see. This might be a really good idea. It might be a really bad idea. I hear the logic of like, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Maybe Survivor has a different point of view that maybe something is broken. So let's at least uh, explore the possibility that it's broken or explore the possibility that this is a better way to strengthen the voting mechanisms. Um, I don't know. I'm curious to see how it plays, though. I think that it's at the very least... It's a really interesting story right now, and I think it's one that we're going to definitely be able to track. And I think when we do get to the evolution of strategy, volume four, chapter 34, uh, this is certainly hopefully going to be a big piece of what we're going to be talking about there, unless it's just a total dud. And I'm I'm hard pressed to think of how it's going to be a non-issue. So, Josh, I want you to just put on the Survivor producer hat for a moment. And I guess I what I'm those. trying to figure to. out is, does Survivor want to prevent ties or does Survivor want to have more rock draws? 
Um, it's a good question. I mean, I asked probes. I was like, do you think that this is going to like get you to more rocks? Like, is this going to get you to more ties? Is that something you want? Um, and Jeff basically said, uh, you know, who knows what it's going to get us, you know, maybe it's going to get us more rocks. Maybe it's not. I think it's just going to make tribal council a little bit more alive, you know, his favorite thing to say. Um, and I think that he, you know, he also mentioned that in terms of a TV show product, it cuts about 30 seconds of the revote process where you almost every time already know what's about to happen. So I think that that's part of the appeal as well. Um, but in terms of do they want this to produce more rock draws? Do they want this to produce more ties? I would probably guess, yeah, right? Like you would, you would, you would guess that something like this is in place so that rock draws are a little bit more common. There are only three of them in Survivor history. Um, and I think that a rule change like this certainly opens up the possibility of like falling into a rock draw by accident. Yeah. Um, so I, I could I could see that that is part of the logic for sure. But I think that Survivor thinks they want more rock draws because just going back to the history of the rock draw. Yes, it's always exciting. But when we look at the casualties of the rock draw that we have lost Pascal, we have lost Katie Collins yeah. and we have lost uh, Jessica Lewis, who the great Je- the great Jessica Lewis. Uh, yes. But. When we look at the carnage, uh, we have not lost a Parvati on a rock draw. We have not lost a Boston Rob. We have not lost a Russell Hance. We have not lost a Tony. We have not lost a Malcolm on a rock draw. Right. If we ever were to lose one of our major players in a season because of a rock, I think that the fans would be furious. Sure. Yeah, (laughs) I think that's right. Um, And, you know, Hopefully that doesn't happen. Knock on wood. Uh, please, no. That would be that would be very, very, very bad. Um, but you know, Survivor, I do think learns uh, by doing. Like I think that Survivor grows by trying stuff out. I think that when they whiff more often than not, I find that they rebound from the whiff. Like if they screw something up, I think it doesn't take long for them to realize. I think what e- even four episodes to realize that the medallion of power is bullshit. You know, like I feel like sometimes Survivor stumbles, scrapes its knees and then learns not to stumble in that way again. Um, And then the upshot is that maybe this is really super cool. So who knows? I'm open to it. I have no real strong opinion whether or not this is a good idea or a bad idea. I'm just open to seeing how it plays. That being said, if the scenarios that you outlined occur, it would be difficult. It would be very difficult to swallow something like that. And just to add one other thing to tie it into the game changers. So let's go back. You know, everybody remembers the rock draw with Sierra going back to the final six. But when we look at the vote where Brad Culpepper went home at the Tadhana final six, we had that moment where Sierra and Katie Collins, that there was going to, you know, the four guys and. And Sierra was supposed to go home that night and Brad Culpepper was throwing Caleb's name around and Caleb had drew a line in the sand. I have enough. He was going to force a rock draw. Now, did he really want to go to rocks here in that spot or did he feel like that if he was going to put his foot down, Vetus was going to flip on the revote? And again, that is one of the scenarios where somebody did not want to go to rocks and really for 23 seasons, somebody on that revote vote was going to flip i mean do we forget that i was it was it cochran that flipped on the revote 
Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, what, John Fincher flipped on a revote. So to say, great like, moments, oh, the revote, moments. we know how yeah. that's going to always play out. Sure, 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 sure. I mean, exceptions to the rule, I think, but iconic, notable, great historical exceptions to the rule, of yeah. course. So when we are going into a stalemate, that the idea of drawing the rocks was a great deterrent that forced people to flip in the past to avoid the rock draw. So it's, it's hard to imagine a scenario where that many people want to go to rock draws here. Like it had always been that the rock draw is like a, you know, a last resort for people. It's hard to imagine that that many people want to, you know, get in on, hey, I need to be part of this last ditch effort. But again, that it's not the kind of thing I'm going to get worked up about uh, going into this. Let's let's see how it plays out. But uh, (laughs) this is not me worked up, but it it just seems like the kind of thing where we are. It would be like, uh, you know, baseball saying, oh, let's take the shift away from people because we don't like how that's, you know, that's not really a fair thing to do. What's the shift? What's the shift? It's you know we don't need to get into that. Is it part of the combine? Yeah, no, it's not. That's a different thing. Still don't know what the combine is. You're taking a tool out of the bag of players, and it was not splitting the vote was not something that came without risk. Uh, ask Sari if there's any risk involved with splitting the vote. A- you know, right. ask ask Tyson and Boston Rob in Heroes versus Villains that you know this is a great season to talk about where people tried to split the vote because they were worried about an idol and things went haywire. So if you're taking that split vote, you know, away from people, then you know, or you got to split it up and it's got to be four three. So yeah, yeah, you need yeah. even more numbers to do a split vote well i'm really looking forward to hearing you and Fishback work that out on the know-it-alls every week that's going to be really fun podcasting to listen to i'm looking forward to figuring it out with you you know as we do during the wiggle room but certainly in evolution of strategy volume four when we get there uh i would say sight unseen i would prefer this not to be in place uh but let's find out let's find out i'm open to it we'll see how it goes no use crying over it it's a thing that's happening so we'll see okay so let's talk about teos chapter 20 of course uh for the uninitiated uh, the Evolution of Strategy is a 30-season Survivor rewatch project that Josh Wiggler and I spent uh, a good 16 months of our lives working on, where we went yeah. through every single season and podcast about it. That's all available at theevolutionofstrategy.com. The Chapter 20, uh, The Heroes vs. Villains, we recorded in May of 2015. I think it was during the Survivor Second Chance campaign. But- oh, I've, yeah, I know it vividly because this is the final chapter of the evolution of strategy that I recorded without having touched feet on the ground of a Survivor location. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wrapped up on Heroes vs. Villains, I think, right before the Second Chance voting had ended. Uh, then we took about a month off, and in that time I had gone out to camp. Cambodia to interview the Second Chance cast, came back and we cruised through volume three from that point forward. Uh, yeah, I remember that very well. That was a very hectic time of my life. Yeah. A lot of air miles, a lot of flying, a lot of excitement. Yes. Okay. Josh, let's just talk big picture in terms of our re-listen of the Evolution of Strategy, uh, Chapter 20, all 17 hours. But I was, you know, not not to be self-congratulatory here, (laughs) but I I had never re-listened to that back. And I felt like for the most part that it held up pretty well. 
Yeah, I mean, the whole thing about uh, uh, poverty should get rid of Russell Hance at the final seven when he right. has a well, okay. Well, that, that, <laughs> I didn't even start with a, with a nitpick. Uh, yeah, yes. no, that doesn't play. But uh, no, I, uh, I hear you. I, I think that uh, it's a it's a complicated season. It's the most exciting season of Survivor up to that point. I think you and I both felt that way. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, we talk about it multiple times in the chapter that like this is the peak of Survivor. This is the best season of Survivor uncontested. I think I still feel that way. Uh, and listening back to it, yeah, really fun. Uh, as somebody who's not a big Russell Hans guy, I forgot that we really had a great time with Russell Hans in that chapter. Uh, to the point that I think that I said that I'm, I'm, uh, it's like Stockholm syndrome. I'm falling in love with Russell Hans now that we've had two chapters in a row with Russell Hans. Yeah, I know you are not the biggest Russell Hans uh, fan in the world, and he was uh, great in the evolution of strategy, though. Right, and, and you have said that you feel like you're okay with not seeing Russell Hans return to the game, but I really do. Uh, I still would like to see Russell Hans play again. <laughs> and I was really surprised that going through this and really listening to this with fresh ears, the number of times that we use the phrase game changer in this, right. at least four or five times, and including, you know, in the first hour of TEOS uh, Chapter 20, Part 2, I even say Russell Hans is a game changer. Wow. How about that? That's right. In an alternate universe, I am, but not Josh Wiggler's alternate universe. Yes, not in Josh Wiggler's alternate no, universe. Didn't make my alternate universe cast. <laughs> uh, but in Rob's alternate universe, uh, Russell is the king of game change. Yeah, he really is. I mean, he's such an interesting character study to profile that he's so arrogant, but he's so thin-skinned. He's uh, completely on tilt at so many points in the game. Somebody's like, got to be that season. You know, Colby's certainly not going to be. Mm-hmm. No tilt. <laughs> yeah. Um, there, there's an infatuation with Parvati, and there's jealousy when she's doing other things, and he gets so up. Uh, he has such a bad read on the situation, uh, and even uh, Josh. He's such a fun personality to have there. It was really great um, going back and listening because I think maybe when you're away from it, like you forget, you think about Russell as this, you know, game monster, you know, like somebody who's really just going to wrecking ball his way through the game with like savage efficiency. Uh, but when we when you're getting towards the end of his heroes versus villains game, I thought it was really interesting, like re-listening to the conversations about the final idol that Russell Hans ever finds on Survivor uh, and the mishandling of that idol and like you said, like the jilted lover quality uh, that's involved in his relationship with Parvati once that starts to go off the rails and how emotion really does dictate a lot of his decisions toward the end. Like in like just like a, a move that is uh, born out of nothing more than pure fury and jealousy and rage. He's going after double D instead of Parvati when he should clearly be going after Parvati. Uh, a lot of that stuff is really fascinating to re-experience. You know, there was a lot made in the evolution strategy of who will play again. Some things we got right, some things we got wrong. We'll touch on that. Um, do you think that Russell Hans ever plays Survivor again? I think it's such an interesting question. Uh, yeah. And look, let me let me say, look, if Russell Hans were to come back, I'd be fascinated. Like, I'd be I'd be ready for it. I'd be really, you know, very curious to see where it goes. He's not going to make my fantasy cast lists. I'm not going to put that out there. But if he's out there, that's going to be interesting to see. Uh, and I don't expect that he would last very long just because of reputation. Um, that being said, will we see him again? You know, 
the last time we had this conversation, or at least uh, in, in the evolution of strategy, we have a conversation like this uh, where we're talking about whether or not we're going to see Sari again. And at the time that we're talking about it, we have no idea what a Survivor Game Changers even is. Uh, I sided with yes, we will see Sari again. And indeed, we are going to see Sari. Uh, so assuming that I have that kind of predictive power, uh, are we going to see Russell Hans on Survivor again? I'm going to say yes. Yes. I think that we will. <laughs> oh. I, I do. I do. I think that we will, I didn't think right? You Don't you think so? Yeah. I, I just feel like that the show uh, doesn't love dealing with him, even That's though. That's the thing. That's the hang up. Yeah. I think that would be. And I do but think that knows? he might go out earlier than in Redemption Island. Oh, my God. <laughs> That would be worth it. That would be worth it. That'd be worth price of admission. No, I'd be curious. I'd be curious to see. I mean, look, we're starting to get to this point now where people are playing four times. You know, yeah. Boston, Rob and Rupert, they have that claimed in volume three. But we have two new additions to that club here, uh, starting with the developing volume four with uh, season 34 with Sari and Ozzy coming back for their fourth time. It would be Russell's fourth time. I feel like he's somebody who could very easily join that club. Um, yeah. So I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked if Russell returns one day. I saw Jeff recently say, and I'm not sure which interview had this, so please uh, forgive me. Maybe you, you know who he gave this quote to, but he had said that there is no limit to how many times people could play Survivor. I think that was with Dalton. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, that might be what we're looking at. I mean, uh, look, Rupert's going to play five times. You know, he's going he's gonna to hit number five for sure. Uh, I don't think Boston Rob is going to, but this whole thing doesn't end until Rupert has played Survivor five times. <laughs> okay. You know, we're not then, off of his ride until that. Then end. I hope he never plays five times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the signal. That's the death knell for Survivor. <laughs> the, the five Ruperts yeah. of the apocalypse. Yeah, the five Ruperts of the apocalypse. When the fifth Rupert strikes, that will be Survivor breaking its toe and going out uh, in the final six. Now, I do think the most interesting takeaway from this re-listen of TEOS chapter 20 and what's coming up now in Survivor Game Changers is the Sandra of it all because we talk a lot about her game there. And I think I probably have even more respect for Sandra's heroes versus villains game, re-listening to it and processing all of that than maybe even we had when we recorded. So I'm especially excited to see what she's able to do coming into this game changer season. Yeah, uh, you said that Sandra is one of the three best to ever play. You said that that uh, that threesome is Boston, Rob, Parvati and Sandra, the yes. three best survivors ever. Do you still hold to that all these years later? Yeah, just based on the fact that the other people that you're going to put into that conversation, like a Tony, like a Kim, they've only done it once. So if we come yeah. away from this season and Tony has you know, a top five baby finish, then I think it's time to put Tony in that conversation. The same thing for Kim. She comes back, goes very far, has another deep run. Put her. I mean, all three of those players have multiple deep runs into the game. So I think that that's where where I say we're talking player rather than individual season performance. Uh, one of the things we talk about in that chapter is that Sandra has this incredible benefit. I think this is when we're finally, you know, wrapping things up yeah. in the chapter. We're starting to talk about the winter rankings and everything and the fallout of the season. And we talk about how Sandra has this incredible advantage in the amount of time between seasons. So it's about 13 seasons between Pearl Islands and Heroes versus Villains. Uh, and she has the longest layoff of anybody else who is out there on Heroes versus Villains between her seasons. It's been the longest stretch of time since she's played Survivor. 
than it is for anybody else. And I think people forget about her as a result. I think people don't know how she plays very well. Uh, in my Game Changer interview with Sandra before Game Changers started, she was remembering her first few days with Russell and Russell just having no idea who she even was and being like, why are you here? Uh, so, like, you know, she had that on her side. And even back then, we speculated um, that's going to go away. Like that advantage doesn't exist anymore. Now, Sandra Diaz Twine is the two time champion of Survivor. Uh, there's still a great distance between her next stint of Survivor, you know, between heroes versus villains and game changers is a really big spread as well to go from 20 to 34. But I don't know that that advantage still exists. And I think that we speculated that the advantage would be gone. Um, do you hold to that still? Do you think that that holds true in terms of your sort of pre game changers uh, analysis of where Sandra stands and everything? Yeah, at the end of TEOS Chapter 20, I was actually very bullish on Sandra's chances on a return. I actually like looking at this field, uh, I'm much less bullish on Sandra's chances going into this third season. And I think the thing that's hurting her here might be if she was on an all winner season, if she was on another heroes versus villains caliber cast, I think that she would be able to hide a bit more, have a little bit more cover but with this particular but here she's the queen here right. she's the queen like i mean she would still probably say i'm the queen uh you know going out there for uh you know any season an all winner season but she is the she is the queen winner of survivor that is out there on this cast one of three winners uh so makes her pretty identifiable Right. And if we had a season that was all winners where it's like, oh, look who's here. Richard Hatch is here and Kim is here and right. Earl is here and and, and oh. you know, so many different winners. And, and also two time winner is here. Sandra Diaz Twine. But she is one of the Mount Rushmore faces that is going to be brought back for this season. So I think that having such a big target on her is not really conducive with her game. So I, I'm very concerned about that in regards to Sandra. Yeah, I, you know, I think something that's, you know, pretty common with Sandra analysis is like it's that early game spot that can be tough. Like if she's on a tribe that's unlucky, that's not. And we great. talked about that. Yeah, we talk about that in the in the chapter as well. Like, you know, she's very lucky with Drake. Drake doesn't start going to tribal councils until, you know, several days into the game. The villains are on a hot streak for a while. Uh, Randy's tribal council notwithstanding. Um, so that's always broken in her favor. So that's another factor for sure, of, of course. But something that I thought was very interesting about Sandra and something I really came away with on this re-listen was that people get on Sandra for not making the big moves. Again, big moves era of Survivor and Sandra doesn't own a lot of big moves, but I think that what is really interesting is just her self-awareness of where she stands in the game. And she comes to this amazing realization of what I want to do and what is in front of me are two different things. And I am going to, instead of trying to force the big move that will not work, I'm going to stay within myself and I would love nothing more than to send Russell out of the game, but 
I see this path to the end going this way and I see a way that I can win the game going this way. And so that's what I will do. Yeah, no, that that works out so well for her on Heroes versus Villains. I mean, we we do wonder like what happens if she can become the true Russell Slayer, but it's enough that she has, you know, sullied his reputation time and time again. Like that's enough as long as she's like, you know, you know, as long as she's beating that drum publicly, that's enough. Um, But that's definitely a big part of her game that season is just sort of, uh, you know, tempering her desire. Like, you know, if it doesn't make sense. If it's not a slam dunk that I can get rid of Russell today, then I have to hope that I can get him tomorrow. And if I can't get him tomorrow, I have to hope I can get him the day after that and so on and so forth. So certainly one of the big things we're watching going into uh, Game Changers. You want to talk some JT? <laughs> of course I want to talk to some JT. How could I not want to talk some JT? If you're bringing up the topic of JT, I immediately have to go into this JT voice. If we're talking about the evolution of strategy chapter 20. We were pretty rough on JT in <laughs> TEOS yeah. Chapter 20. Oh, yeah. Were we kind to JT? Were we fair to his reputation coming out of Token Chains? Did we treat him with kid gloves? Not a chance in the world. No, not a chance in the world at all. And so we were hard on him. And I think that people have softened on JT a little bit with time, would you say? Uh, I think, well, look, I think that people are really excited about JT coming back the survivor. Yes. Um, I, I think like with Sandra, like you expected that Sandra would come back someday, but I think that there was, I don't, again, Chinese food. Don't remember what our take was on the matter. Did we talk about whether or not we would ever see JT again? I don't think that we talked on, but I, I could tell you up until the point where I saw this cast, I never thought JT was yeah. playing. I just thought that the specter of that Russell letter and the way that he leaves that season, and I talk about that in the chapter, uh, that I felt like that he let the mistake to give Russell the idol and the letter sort of define his survivor legacy and sort of just like walked away and said, uh, you know, in a Tom Westman sort of way, okay, I'm done with this game and you're never going to see or hear from from me again. I kind of thought that that was his attitude, but now here he is in Survivor 34. Yeah, definitely. Um, and again, like I can tell you my pregame experience with JT and really expecting JT to, you know, have something to say about, oh man, that Russell letter was so bad. It was so embarrassing and I can't live it down. And I never wanted to come back here because it was so embarrassing and everyone thought I was the worst. Uh, he had n- like nothing to say on the matter. You know, he has like no regrets about the Russell letter. He has no regrets about any of that. He maintains like if it had paid off, like if it had worked out, that would have been a huge move. That would have been a game if changer. But some more candy and nuts to be Christmas yeah. around here. Yeah. And I I think what's what's fascinating is that he was really hung up on the fact that he lets go of the poll in the immunity challenge leading into the tribal council where he goes home. I again, Chinese food. I have no recollection of you and I really analyzing that in the evolution of strategy. But that's the moment that he's replayed in his mind over and over again. None of the stuff we were knocking him for. It's crazy to think that he was going to Mike Holloway this thing to the end of (laughs) Survivor Heroes versus Villains. Yeah, that's how it was going to work out. We would have called it a JTing for uh, Survivor Worlds Apart. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, It's interesting to me. Um, The the JT stuff. I mean, look, he also gets a a, a really it's a bad final episode for him, as we as we note numerous times in talking that through is that it's really, you know, all of the not a chance in the world stuff is just it's really it's really a brutal way to go out of Survivor. So you can't you can't fault the guy for not wanting to come back. But he is coming back. He wants to do really well in challenges. Um, Our good buddy, Rob, our good buddy, Antonio Mazzaro 
Romero had reached out to me to wonder who I thought would be um, the next Superman in a fat suit uh, Ooh, going into Game Changers uh, as, uh, you know, something that that James describes Colby as. And we talk about Colby as somebody who has lost his tilt. Is JT a candidate? Could the third JT, could that be similar to a third Colby Donaldson? Malcolm had described in his interview with Aaron Sebula for ET Canada, he said that both JT and Ozzy looked like that they were wearing fat suits. Ozzy was definitely a little bigger. There's no question about it. No question about it. By Ozzy's own admission, Ozzy was a little bit bigger. Uh, and JT definitely walks belly first. No question about it. James was on the beach with Colby, calling Colby Superman in a fat suit. And yeah. James then ran a race against JT. Did yeah. the curse of Superman in a fat suit get put onto JT? Yeah. Yeah. Antonio was wondering, is it contagious? You know, is the was the Superman in a fat suit itis out there? Uh, you know, maybe they should have medevaced uh, some of these people beforehand. Uh, who knows? We'll see. We'll find out on Game Changers if that's the case. But I think if there was a candidate for it, you would have to think JT would be the guy uh, formerly prolific in immunity challenges. You know, somebody who was really a beast in token genes has a disappointing showing his second time. And then if he were to come back for a third time, really wanting to lean on on old strengths, but maybe not being able to do it and sadly hobbling his way to the final five the way that Colby did. You know, that's the Colby arc. Could that be JT's fate as well? I think it's an interesting question. That would be funny to see JT out there and very quickly sort of like running out of gas and enthusiasm for being here and giving us like a it's day one. And yeah, I just just realized how much this is hard. (laughs) Who who is that person? Do you know any of these people? <laughs> he very well could be the Colby of the season. That's so funny. <laughs> who is the Candace that he would be checking in with? I don't know. Hmm. Uh, but I, I think it's fun. I, I will say that, you know, JT seemed pretty relaxed, pretty subdued when I interviewed him. You know, was talking a really big game, was feeling very confident, but his energy was pretty low. Uh, I think in Dalton Ross's AMA that he did on Reddit a few weeks ago, he said the same thing about how JT was really low energy. Uh, so just interesting things, interesting things to consider. Yeah. I have to think that. JT probably got the scouting report on at least who these people are from Fishback. And I haven't asked Stephen about this. I haven't asked Stephen about this, but I'm just assuming that he must have. They had to have been talking going into this thing. So that's what I would assume because we talked about when Colby has that scene in Candace in the chapter about how Colby is asking Candace, uh, do you know any of these people? And it's like, Candace does not know them like she doesn't hang out with them, but she knows of them where Colby does not even know who they are. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot how great Colby was for heroes versus villains. You know, like you think of Colby uh, on that season and it's not it's not the Colby that you want. It's not the full tilt Colby of season two. Uh, I think we even rank the the fifth place finishing Colby behind uh, the Colby who who is lost on Mogo Mogo back in all stars. Mm -hmm. But as far as a character, at least an evolution of strategy character, no tilt Colby is a an underappreciated gem. One of the things that really killed me on the re-listen is the moment that we're talking about. I think it's, uh, is it heading into Schmergen Brawl where we are going to the have the chocolate bar scene <laughs> where Jeff is going to have a reward challenge and it's this uh, chance to go visit Chocolate Island and they have a Snickers bar and they're going to break Holy it up into pieces. It. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and Jeff says, okay, 
for everybody, how about a little taste, a little bit of chocolate? And Colby is like, no thanks. We don't want it. We're good. We're ready to start Let's the start challenge. The challenge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Heard you, brother. We'll start when I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready to shoot the scene now, Jack. Come on. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Let's oh go. God. Burt Reynolds, Jeff Probst is a yeah. great mentor. Well, woman. I'm not going to shoot the scene with the state you're in right now. What do you mean? The state of California? I'm ready to go. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. But then the punchline uh, is then the heroes need to sit somebody out of the challenge. Yeah. <laughs> and they say, all right, uh, we've got to even up these teams. Who's sitting out? Uh, that would be me, Jeff. Uh, Cole, the Culpster. <laughs> Yeah, the guy who would say we we don't even want the reward. Yeah, Colby really, uh, you know, saying like let's let's yada past the the preview of the reward. Let's just hop into the challenge. And by the way, I'm going to take a nap. Jeff, come on! Uh, I'm so fired up right now. I can't wait to get this thing started. Let's go! Let's go! I'm tired of waiting around. Let's do this. I'll be sitting out. So good. So good. Really good. Colby Diggler. I love it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I wonder, you know, if it's not JT, you know, who is who is like a, a survivor legend out here who might lose some luster the way that Colby did out here in Game Changers? Well, I think Ozzy is the other candidate. Yeah. Candace. Um, it. <laughs> yes. Although Candace uh, doesn't have that thing where she ends up uh, in a Colby-like scenario. I think it's one of those guys that you would look at. When I when I was on with Jordan on the Happy Hour, we were pouring out a lot of love for, for Candace Cody and talking about how it would make more sense for Candace to now be considered a game changer than it would be for Candace to be classified as a hero on Heroes versus Villains. I What's agree. Your on that? Listening back to the conversations about Candace, that's somebody who is always willing to shake things up. So she's uh, not afraid to uh, make a big move, uh, Candace. And again, you know, I don't know if uh, we spent a lot of time talking about her game. I think she was probably one of the more underserved uh, people. But she's uh, she's around for some interesting decisions there in Heroes vs. Yeah. Villains. I thought we had a good conversation about how Candace is like always willing to to like make that pivotal move to make that choice where it's like, all right, games of Survivor are often won by like making one really crucial, important swing decision. Uh, and she's always willing to do that. And she you know puts her money where her mouth is, where she steps off the mat and goes over to uh, to the Raro people, goes back to Raro or she tr- chooses to sell the heroes down the river and side with Russell. But she always backs the wrong horse like it's always like the right idea but just the implementation is always botched just horribly horribly botched josh you also as we referenced uh nailed the call that sari would return to the game in teos chapter 20 why did you feel so confident sari was going to play again you know probably for the same reason i said earlier about russell is like i just feel like sari is one of those survivors that like that person you know you got to expect like that person is going to return someday like just somebody who's just like a classic person who clearly loves the game and i think especially with sari and i think this extends to someone like russell is their final note in the game uh is not is not worthy of you know everything else that came before uh you know with sari who gets right up to the end very 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 close to that final tribal council two times and then to go out fourth i think is a bitter pill to swallow and you can imagine that person being really pumped about coming back and getting a chance to fix that uh so i think that that's ultimately where i was with sari i was probably envisioning some sort of like season 40 legends scenario which is hard to picture without someone like Sari. Uh, so Sari's return is coming sooner than I expected for sure. 
Now, we haven't really had the thing where somebody has a run, let alone two deep runs like Sari, but then has the disappointing finish. And if Sari was to have another disappointing finish, would that sort of change her legacy in any way? I don't know. I mean, no, I don't think so. Because I mean, does anybody have that in terms of returning players where somebody has like a really great run and then a disappointing run and then they come back again for the redemption and then it's another disappointing run who comes to mind in terms of that list? i can't think not, of anybody that has really. that if you take a look at like the me or the yao man or somebody else like that fits does in really that category well, comes the back johnny fair play yeah doesn't do so well but you don't have that round three there hasn't uh, been a round three yeah. to sort of look at this experiment even russell hance who goes deep twice and then has the disappointing run on the third time it seems like that that's usually been the end of the road for a person. I guess Antina is the person. She wins. Then she's out first. But then on yeah, the third time, she has the deep run. But right. have we had that person that goes far, does poorly, comes back again, does poorly a third time? No, not to my mind. Um, that is the the Sari situation. And now round four. She's a game changer. Did she pick that back up or does it end similarly to heroes versus villains? And I think it's not hard to see that outcome. Um, I think that, you know, to an extent, the toothpaste is out of the tube on Sari. Uh, Sari's tricks are out of the bag. People knew how she, you know, people had a different perspective on Sari and heroes versus villains than they had on her in Micronesia. Uh, we talk about that, about how Sari kind of just has like the happy-go-lucky couch potato heroic reputation that she has from Panama going into Micronesia. But from Micronesia going to heroes villains, she's got the Black Widow Brigade reputation. Um, I wonder, you know, does time and distance, is that beneficial for someone like Sari? A lot of these people in the Game Changers preseason seemed open to Sari, uh, seemed to want to work with her because they they find her funny or they think that she thinks about the game in a similar way. But certainly also people who are like, got to watch for Sari. She's super dangerous. Uh, so it's a great question. It's a great question if Sari, uh, you know, would it tarnish her legacy? I think that that's what her legacy is right now. Uh, and if she were to go out early again on round four, I think it would just be reinforcing the idea that the toothpaste is out of the tube on Sari. I don't think it would diminish the successes that she had in her first two seasons. Okay, Josh, I want to touch on a couple of different moments uh, that were highlights on uh, the re-listen. Um, I have to say just early on, the uh, I, I thought it was a very inspired bit, the going through the Survivor wiki and uh, the BS meter of yes. the people <laughs> reported to be on the season versus not. I thought that really held up uh, still very well for me. I look forward to the BS meeting returning in uh, chapter 34. I think that that's going to be good. Yes. And we did talk about then that it's always the young, attractive women that are the head scratchers when we look at any of these casts. Yeah. Uh, like the Daniels and Candaces, you mean? Right. It's always those are always the why are they the here people? Uh, yeah. That's well, still a thing. I am looking at. Troyzan with some questions. <laughs> That's true. That's, well, uh, you got to have, you know, uh, you know, some hot guys out there, too, Josh. Oh, of course, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, there was one part that I thought was also uh, very funny where I compared Miley Cyrus to JT early on in part two of TEOS chapter 20. Do you remember this conversation? 
Talk me through it briefly. Catch me up. <laughs> I don't know how Miley Cyrus necessarily came up, but I talked about. I remember that- you saying you're a big Miley Cyrus fan or your team Miley Cyrus. At least. <laughs> well, I was just very impressed. And this was really, you know, it's 2015 when we're recording this and Miley Cyrus, uh, you know, a bit more controversial at that point in time. Probably like 2013 is probably around the time when she's the most controversial. But people uh-huh. are like, oh, she's, you know, she's crazy. She's out of control. And and I said that I thought that the transition that she made was very calculated, that Miley Cyrus was this kid who was a child star, had this really very safe image. And through a series of what I feel like are calculated moves, uh, you know, has a you know crazy hairstyle, is right. edgy, is doing all these like crazy things on uh, MTV uh, Music Award shows. And I felt like that she was able to pull off the successful transition to another persona that JT did not pull off in Heroes versus Villains. He wanted <laughs> to come back and be a different person. Right. Miley pulled it off off jt could not okay that makes more sense now uh (laughs) yeah i don't think that i would have had uh comparisons between jt and miley cyrus on like my tios bingo card in terms of like going back and uh maybe jt uh, and billy ray cyrus (laughs) (laughs) hey don't break my heart a few a few of these takes held up uh the johnny d silvera twitter shout out uh, which was Johnny talking about how uh, does Russell prove that like you should always go after the wild card right away? Uh, and that's something that's a factor here in Game Changers as we're heading into Game Changers is Zeke and Michaela are playing sight unseen. No one has seen them play before. Interestingly, they're playing with somebody who's been in those shoes before in Malcolm, who is a wild card who returned sight unseen. Um, and I think just as like a general rule, as much as I love Zeke and Michaela, I still think that that holds like, yeah. Go after that person right away. You just don't know. Better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Um, so I, I think that that's still an interesting conversation to have. I mean, certainly you you and I and everybody else, we know a little bit more about how Zeke and Michaela play. And maybe they don't have quite that threat level that Russell brings to the table as somebody who's just going to go on the war path. Uh, but I still think just as a rule, uh, eliminate the unknown is probably the way to go. Yeah, I think it's easier said than done. And I think you have a person who shows up there like a Malcolm in Survivor Caramo and who just seems like a really good guy. And you sort of get why they're there. I think that Zeke and you've mentioned this, that uh, he has said in interviews with you. Well, what do you think they're going to think? Are they going to think I'm more of a totally. Malcolm or a Russell Hans? Right. Uh, they're not going to think I'm a Malcolm. So right. if somebody seems like they're capable of being a villain where Malcolm just seemed like, oh, OK, I totally get why he's back here as a favorite then i think it's a little bit of an easier conversation yeah and i think you know we talk this through even a little bit more in the chapter um and one of the things we start talking about is like you need to have the scouting report like you can't be colby you can't go into this season without knowing anything that's very dangerous that's very bad and you're probably not going to have a good handle on these people um but that being said we also stressed how important it is to like not trust the scouting report at the expense of what's right in front of you Mm -hmm. um we have a moment where we're talking about like why aren't the heroes voting 
putting out Rupert right now? Why isn't he even on the on the table as somebody to discuss voting out? Like when Tom is pitching, let's go after Amanda to Sari. Well, that's the exact wrong thing to do because Sari and Amanda have history. But why not go for Rupert? Rupert's, you know, the big, strong provider type. That's what you remember him as. That's what his reputation is. But the dude's got a broken toe and doesn't seem to be helping you out at all. Um, so I think that on, on the topic of the wild cards, I think there is this sense of like, it's good to trust that you don't know anything about them. That is something that needs to be very actively on your mind, but also look for the broken toes, look for the things that are right in front of your face and let that inform you. So it's some sort of marriage of those two ideas. And then of course that, uh, no re-listen of TOS chapter 20 would be complete without at least, uh, mentioning one of the greatest moments in TOS where we discuss, I don't even like the Boston Red Sox. (laughs) (laughs) That little B hat. Yeah. Yeah. I almost almost tweeted out the little B hat hashtag the other day when I finished listening. Uh, It's, it's so great. Russell is such a gem in that chapter. Oh my God. I mean that there's just so much there that we have between (laughs) all of the Russell and Boston Rob and Sandra and Rupert. I mean that I don't think we'll ever have a collection of survivor personalities there again. And just the Russell it's, you know, 20% Russell talk. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and by Russell talk, I mean my brilliant brain. I don't even like the parts that aren't even talking about me. Oh, you get, yeah, you get really, really taken away with it sometimes. (laughs) Well, I'm a method podcaster. So when we do stuff like this, you know, I become Russell Hans. I I don't break character. I walk around my house, uh, you know, talking to my wife as Russell Hans. Throwing socks in the fire. Yeah. Yeah. The no, we do. She's downstairs. <laughs> she thinks that she's running the show, but I don't I'm even like the one. Cool Delma. Yeah, I don't even like her. When you said that it wouldn't be a discussion of the evolution of strategy without talking about this character, I really thought you were going to bring up Bryant Gumble uh, <laughs> because that would also be the case. And I really enjoyed that in our reassessment of Bryant Gumble and what the Heroes versus Villains reunion would be like with him in Jeff Probst's shoes, that he would call Amanda Allison. Uh, I also liked that of all of the survivors that have come and gone, the only one he would remember perfectly by name would be Dara. Because <laughs> the shower scene, I thought was really good. Uh, yeah. Also wouldn't be a conversation about the evolution of strategy without an obligatory Gallagher shout out. So that will that will take care of uh, that watermelon. Consider it smash. <laughs> OK, Josh, let's get into some of these questions that we got from the listeners here on this uh, review of TEOS Chapter 20. And you touched on it at the beginning of the podcast but let's uh take a question uh this is uh, mentioned many times in the comments on our comment page for the evolution of strategy chapter 20 and in my mind i think that this is the biggest mistake we made going through everything from uh, the all 30 seasons of the evolution of strategy we talk a lot about how Parvati went wrong when Russell is getting out of control at the final seven. She needs to get rid of Russell. And a huge oversight on our part is that Russell was immune at the final seven, the vote where Danielle DiLorenzo goes home. Russell flips Jerry to vote along with Rupert and Colby to get uh, double D 
out of the game at that point. And you and I were both saying that Parvati should have gotten rid of Russell. If she would have gotten rid of Russell, then she may well have won the game because that she was seen as somebody who was an accomplice of Russell and she wasn't able to differentiate herself from him in the final tribal council. So... Let's at least talk this through <laughs> now with uh, armed with the fact that Russell was indeed immune at the final seven. That's it's a it's a bad look. That's the worst. It sucks. I you know, we get every once in a while you'll get a, like a straight tweet or something being like, you guys realize Russell's immune there, right? Uh, look, we were in the midst of 18 hours of recording, you know, a pretty, pretty extensive thing there. You it's know? also it was, a double it, episode. Uh, yeah. So uh, there's a lot, there's a lot happening a in lot, that particular show. You know, recording this thing was not easy. There was a lot to juggle. So we were bound to screw something up eventually. I'm sure that's not our first screw up by a mile. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the move is instead. Is it, um, you know, because the, the heroes are incentivized to just kind of go with a move that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. if, they, if they've got an option that's not coming after them, why not go with it? And I don't know what Parvati's better pitch is there. I think maybe the question is like, what can Parvati do once Danielle is gone? Right. Is, there an, is there anything to do there? Is well, there, yes, I think there is. So here we have just to set that scene up for those of you guys who may not have uh, listened to this recently. So then at the final six, once Danielle is out of the game, there are four villains left and there are two heroes. So it's Parvati, Russell, Sandra and Jerry. And then on the other side, there are still Rupert and Colby in the game. Now, I believe that. For Parvati, she needs to realize that, okay, Russell Hans is, I, I cannot work with him. You know, there's a difference between somebody who is a jury goat and somebody who is just a cancer who is bringing us all down right now. Could Parvati, with Jerry and Sandra, could they have taken a page out of Ceri's book and done a three to one at the final six? Would it be that hard to convince Colby and Rupert to just like come along for the ride at that point? Well, I think that what are you going to do? Tell them to vote out Russell. The problem yeah. is that if and we talked about this, that Russell Hans is so unstable that if word got back to him, Russell Hans would force a rock draw here that we said that that would not be the craziest thing. And it's certainly in the big moves era. I mean, this is, would yeah. be like old hat. Yeah. And yeah, old fedora right now for Russell Hans. Just to, <laughs> old you know, fedora. E- easily. Old little hat. Yeah, <laughs> that little be that'll be old little bee hat. Yes, yes. I don't even like not going to rock draws. Yes. So a three-three split and a rock draw is certainly on the table. And at the point in Survivor history where there was some deliberation, you could see Jerry saying, uh, "Maybe I'm not going to go to rock draw." We mistakenly said Sandra. Oh, Sandra would never go to a rock draw. Where uh, we've now is sort of like in our deep dives of Sandra. Sandra uh, doesn't mind a rock draw because she thinks she's lucky. She thinks she mm. could pull a rock ever. Yeah, yeah. Cassandra <laughs> style, yeah. So the four villains are going to vote for Rupert. I mean, could Parvati have pulled Jerry and Sandra aside and said, hey, look, let's just vote off Russell tonight. Let's go girl power. Let's go to the final three. We talked about how Parvati got away from what worked with her, which was the Black Widow Brigade back in Micronesia. I know that Jerry is seemingly very tight with Russell and he has this conversation where Jerry and and Russell are, are tight and Jerry at least feels good about Russell. But don't forget, this is also the 
the same episode where Jerry wins the reward and uh, that she the loved ones visit and she picks the two women to go with her on yeah. the trip. And then Russell gets so mad about that. Like, that was a million dollar hamburger. She was so stupid to not take me. So that Jerry obviously feels goodwill towards the two women. Would that have worked, Josh? Yeah, I mean, I, I think especially because, you know, Jerry's really confused about the vote against Danielle. You know, it's kind of a last minute thing. Um, we talk about how Russell's sales pitch to Jerry makes no sense at all, but it's very, very forceful. So you could see Jerry not being psyched about Russell there. And if Parvati is able to introduce this idea of like, well, then let's just get rid of him now. He sucks. He's ruining everything. Um, maybe even hype up some of his like play style and be like, he's also a threat. Uh, you could see how that would work in San would just be game to do it to get rid of Russell although for Sandra would she be would she be turned off by the fact that maybe she's not the the architect of getting out Russell anymore I wonder oh I can't Um, imagine that if Parvati says hey I've got a plan to get rid of Russell Sandra would say to her I don't know about that (laughs) no I need to own that move Right, right. So yeah. I think that that would be interesting. Your your concern, just going back to the recording of it, was that you felt like it was way too dangerous to go into the final five with both Colby and Rupert still in the game because what if Colby or Rupert woke up at the final four and if they snuck into the final three, they could steal the million? Right. But then I think in the same breath or a very close subsequent breath, I floated out the idea of like, but maybe they split the hero vote if they're both there at the end and poverty just drags the two of them to the top. Yeah, I think it would be hard to be taking them to the end and and take both of them to the end for somebody at final five to switch. And then I mean, I think that of the three of them, I think that Jerry would be the most likely to potentially flip to Colby and Rupert away from the pair of Sandra and Parvati. But I mean, I guess it would be on the table for any of them. I could see Sandra possibly doing that, too. How great would it have been if that was the ending of Heroes versus Villains, though? Like, so so they get rid of Russell here and both Rupert and Colby are now at the final five. And you just like hear like the John Williams Superman music start to come on. As Colby just finally blows out of his fat suit and just destroys the challenges for the rest of the season and marches his way. Frog marches his way to the end to borrow from coach who frog marched Colby all over the first challenge and he makes it to the end and he wins Superman style it's a bird it's a plane no I was right the first time it's a helicopter (laughs) it's the It's a bird. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> very that's a very uh deep pull for him. Oh, I love it. I love okay. it. But I think I think that that's a that's a cool a cool plan for poverty that requires that she has seen uh you know pre Cook Islands one. Prepare uh, to, to be you know. uh ripped to shreds in the comments uh that uh Dan Bueno is just like typing a mile a minute right now, Josh. Why? I, I, Over look, what? look, these are the kinds of things that uh people uh, will will poke a lot of holes in. All right. Well, whatever. We're not perfect. Everyone knows. <laughs> All right. So then uh, let's uh, touch on a couple of these other uh, quick questions. Uh, this is one from uh, James Bootsma, who says, uh, after much time to reflect on your winner rankings, do you still stand behind Sandra's placement? I think I placed her around 13 in the overall rankings, and I think I placed her just behind Danny Boatwright. That's and, correct. Yeah, uh, that all held water for me. I felt like that my criteria that I went through for ranking the winners, how much 
control that they had. I thought Sandra was very, very good, but she did not dictate the action really at any point in the game of who was going home at what time. She did enough to get herself to the end. She stayed out of trouble and she had plans, but she was uh, very quick to realize that they weren't going to work. She stayed within herself. It was a great win, but it wasn't a dominant win. And I'm fine with her placement in the ranking. Yeah, I think of the winners on Heroes versus Villains and the fr- the former winners on Game Changers. I think JT is the one in terms of winner rankings that you have, you know, you've, you've reevaluated or at least you've questioned um, since ranking him as recently as your JT preview podcast. Laura Oyer has a question, Josh. Heroes versus Villains has a huge legacy as being one of the best seasons of all time at the very top of many people's lists. What were the elements that came together to create that magic? Big villains, big idol plays, big characters? All of that, right? Like all of that. I think big characters being the biggest one. Um, I mean, this really is the this is the, the all of the people, you know, with a couple of exceptions here and there. But most of the people, the vast majority of people that are assembled for this cast, like these are movie poster survivors. Uh, Colby in his prime, you know, Sandra becomes a movie poster character with this season. Russell certainly in that point in time. Coach, uh, you know, the list really goes on. Tom Westman being there. Sari being back. Boston, Rob, James, all. All of these people are so good and so fun and so worthy of being back on Survivor. You know, people that you really want to see play again for the most part. Uh, I think that the cast is the is the biggest part of the success of the season. And um, I don't know. I think letting the heroes versus villains theme ride as long as it does. Maybe that could have played poorly if like the heroes just kept sucking at challenges. If they didn't have, you know, the Fantastic Five turnaround that occurs, you know, that could be a real bummer. Um, but it, it just ends up working out really well. There's just some magic that's happening in Samoa that season that uh, had never been replicated before or since. Yeah, I think that you have the right players. And we touched on this about how you don't have to worry about twists. You don't have to go crazy. Just have the right players out there and let them do their thing. And I think that that's going to be interesting to see in future All-Star seasons, you know, how that bears out. Josh, one of the other key things about this season that I think uh, really did help it, and it's a little counterintuitive in the modern Survivor game, is we had two tribes of 10. And we left them alone and we didn't do a swap and we didn't go down to three tribes. And there was a lot of room for people to maneuver. And we got some really crazy votes in the early going on both sides with those tribes of 10. And I know the the modern day returning player season, the, you know, the format, you know, going off of Cambodia is we start with 10, but very quickly, we're going to go down to tribes of three. And you and I had recalled going back to Survivor All-Stars, that didn't work as well in returning player seasons. Now in Cambodia, really no harm, no foul during the, what? You think no harm, no foul? I mean, you, you lose a huge character like Jeff Varner, who is, you know, pretty set on Takeo otherwise. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously a volatile situation over there. Sure, uh, but, but he's, he's the, the third the person to go episodes. out over there right. at Angkor. Um, let's, let's follow that. Well, this is what I'm saying, where in the 10-person tribes that... I think that the Sandras have a better chance to be able to move around. And if somebody is not necessarily 
pulling their weight in the challenges, that person is uh, able to have some cover in a tribe of 10, whereas somebody who is a strategic threat and maybe not an ace uh, in the challenges, and I'm not talking about Ace Gordon, Mm. uh, in the tribe of six is more likely to get picked off. uh, And I know from experience with this, you know, we lose a Monica also. We lose lose PG. Uh, It's all PG. Right. But it's all people that we lose in that part of the game that are people who are not going to be uh, big assets in the challenges. And Jeff Varner is also hurt at this point in the game that he goes out. So I wonder if we end up seeing at that point in the game, if some of our major strategic threats could get picked off if we go down to tribes of six in this new season. And I wonder if that could be a mistake. I think that a complaint um, or a criticism rather towards Cambodia that I've seen a lot and I've certainly meditated on uh, about the, you know, about the pace of the game and how fast it is. Cambodia is one of the most strategically complicated seasons that we ever get because it's a mix of returning players. Um, it is the two down to three back to two now an early merge. Like there's just a ton going on in terms of the game. And it's fascinating and it's really fun to talk through like all of the strategic implications of such a thing. Um, and I think that there's great stories that are that are, uh, you know, thriving and thread throughout uh, Cambodia, throughout Second Chance. But I think that there's just something streamlined and elegant about heroes versus villains. And I think when you're already being tasked with keeping track of who all these returning players are, like if you don't remember their seasons very well, and I'm not talking about if you're Colby not remembering their seasons, I'm talking about as a viewer not remembering seasons very well, like already that's taking up a lot of mental energy. To toss a ton of twists on top of that, I think that that complicates something that's already more complicated than your everyday season of Survivor. Um, so I think that's some, that's one of the reasons why I like two tribes in an all star uh, format. That's one of the reasons why I think, um, you know, I think I would be I think my ideal probably, Rob, would be a you know, you start an all star season out with two tribes of 10 and there's one swap that occurs at a traditional swap point and it's a swap over and you're not swapping down. You're not like creating a third tribe. You like it's Micronesia a- format. I think that that's probably the way Um, I would be curious to see that play out on an all star season. We don't get that here in Heroes versus Villains. And I think that could have been fun because one of the things that I think that I say in Heroes Villains is uh, you really want to make sure like you get your moment with coach and JT would be really great to have the Black Widow Brigade back together. And you really never get those opportunities if you lose too many people too early along the way. And I think a swap maybe fixes that. I think I proposed a one-worlding to, yeah. to start. Well, that's interesting. But with yeah. Heroes versus Villains, the thing that happens that makes it so exciting at the merge is that the heroes and villains have been separated for 25 days. And they get to the merge, and you have the heroes who have made this very incorrect assumption that there is a woman's alliance that is taking out Randy and Tyson and Rob and Coach, and that's what forces them to make this uh, colossal blunder and send Russell the idol. And so you have uh, all of this backstory coming into this. And so I just wonder if maybe the move might be if we ever have some sort of like super all stars type legend season, just get the 20 best people you can and just leave them alone. Yeah, I think that, you know, again, would that still work? What I mean when I say there's magic in Samoa is I feel like the risk of that failing is 
decently high as well. It's really kind of a miracle that the Fantastic Five pulls it around for the heroes because they could just get destroyed. And then you have a very swift destruction of the heroes whenever a merge exists. Um, and I guess it'd be fun to have like all of those villains and you really have to work through that. So if that's like the the possible downside, it's not such a downside. But I think that the swap, uh, I think that that shakes things up too. Uh, I think that that gives, you know, I think that gives an appropriate amount of volatility to the game um, for, for an all-star season to switch things up just that much. You're not guaranteed to get the magic that you get from heroes versus villains. Cause I think that that already was improbable that it worked out the way that it worked out. Okay, Josh, let's do one more question. Jen Manning, who had a, a ton of great questions. A million, <laughs> a million uh, questions. Yes. She's great. Uh, she also did a preview, an excellent preview of beast mode cowboy uh, this week. She said the, Ghost of Micronesia haunts Heroes vs. Villains. I thought it was the ghost of Boston Rob. Yeah. Uh, 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 uh. I love I love Boston Rob's ghost. Uh, incredible. Yeah. One of um, the best. I think that maybe the highlight of Boston Rob's ghost is when we get into uh, Boston Rob possessing different people. Yes. Uh, and he's possessing Amanda <laughs> Kimmel and then talking to Sandra as <laughs> different people. And then Russell is the exorcist. The power of Russell compels you. Yes. <laughs> I also like it when uh, he says, I don't even like that little boo hat. My friend's name is Boo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so stupid it's also dumb it's also dumb it's just the dumbest stuff it's brilliant uh so jen wants to know the, the ghost of micronesia haunts heroes versus villains what dynamic will haunt game changers is there one thing that you think yeah i mean you know certainly i've been writing about the korong four right like that's something and i think even going into second chance and that's not something we could weigh in on too much during the heroes versus villains chapter of teos because we didn't know that all four of the kagi honors were going to be going back but that was something that was talked about a lot in the preseason of that i don't know how much it actually hanged over the season um but that's that's probably the one for me is uh is the korong four or seems Micronesia-esque, but they don't have the same history mm -hmm. that the Black Widow Brigade had. I don't think that there's a Black Widow Brigade analog out here. I'm going to go a different direction. I think it's the ghost of Kagiyan and specifically the ghost of Tony. I think mm -hmm. that Tony's performance in this season is so important to how we will view the game moving forward because I think that these last five or six seasons that we've watched, I guess five since Survivor 28, have all been, and Sam Wandel, sir, they didn't see that. So that's the one that's sort of like the, that Natalie Anderson does play like Tony esque at times. So the really, I guess it's, you know, 30, 31, 32. It's just so much of if people are exhibiting any Tony like tendencies, um, that is such a problem for survivors that we talk about how much uh, survivors need to be feeling comfortable with their alliance mates to the point that we even have trust clusters. I think trust clusters is a byproduct of Tony, Josh, and I am really interested to see whether Tony can escape the ghost of Tony or if Tony has an early ouster from this game, if that sort of cements the legacy that Tony 
and Tony-like players will automatically be removed from the game in favor of players that are going to make their fellow tribe mates and alliance mates and trust cluster mates feel comfortable. Yeah. Uh, so the way that I've presented my preseason interviews is just, you know, like feature style. I'm, you know, removing my questions from the process for the most part just to tell a compelling story. Um, but I remember vividly sitting down with Tony uh, right before Game Changers began in, in those interviews uh, and and saying something similar to him um, and saying something to the effect of like, you know, the game has been impacted severely by your win. You see a lot of people who want to emulate your play style, a lot of people who are afraid of your play style. Now you're here. Um, you could really argue that you created a monster in the way that you played the game. But the Frankenstein myth is such that Dr. Frankenstein creates this monster that he can't control anymore and has to wrestle with this idea of this thing being on the loose. And can it defeat me, this thing that I created? And I asked Tony, like, how do you plan on tempering that if you're dr frankenstein and you've created this monster how do you make sure the monster doesn't defeat you and i think that he gave me some sort of answer of like because i watched my own game i already did the tape of myself like none of it made any sense <laughs> really, yeah. unfortunately i don't know if he really knows how much this is a thing i didn't get the impression that he did yeah and it's easier, I think, for us because we have studied all of this seasons and have this sort of through line of the show's history and the impact. And I'm sure it must be difficult to look at, like, to t separate the impact of what has happened to me from the impact of, I'm, not, I'm talking as Tony, yeah. uh, that the impact of what has happened to him through his own viewpoint to what has happened to the game and how things have shifted. And I'm not sure. Or if uh, maybe he does, maybe, maybe, you know, we're, we're underestimating him. But I think that that's going to be the thing that I'm really focused on in the early going of the season. Yeah, you at least get the sense that Parvati watched the Survivor Cook Islands uh, seasons. Uh, but how many Survivor Kagiyans has Tony watched? You know, yeah. <laughs> I think he watched Kagiyan one and maybe he watched Kagiyan. What would it be? Three is where the Kagiyan four returned to. Uh, no, I think that's Kagiyan four, actually. Yeah. <laughs> But I think the impact of Parvati was probably not felt until post heroes versus villains. I mean, I mean, I but the and what I'm saying specifically was the impact of Parvati herself. People were very concerned with Parvati herself upon her return. But I don't recall and maybe you do in Survivor 17 18, 19 people saying we have to get rid of this person. They're like a poverty. I think that that happened more following season 20, but we're, you know, this is like uh, now we're into way past uh, heroes versus villains and into survivor <laughs> theorem class. And uh, sure. that's, a, you know, that's a college credit. So we don't need to get into that today, Josh. All right. I do like uh, college Yes. <laughs> everyone, everyone should go if you can. Yeah. Okay. Survivor College. Let's start it up, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Will Wall in one tribe. Yeah. <laughs> Julia yeah. Sokolowski leads the other. Okay. Yeah. We'll help you. Yeah, we'll help you. All right. So uh, such fun stuff, Josh. I can't wait for Wednesday. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited to see this all finally play out. I've been I've been waiting many, many moons, as have so many of us. And I, I think it's going to be fun. I hope it's going to be fun. Knock on wood. It's Survivor. It's going to be great. Josh, take us through what you have coming up with the Survivor premiere. Oh, my God. All right. Well, uh, so when is this out? When are people listening to this? What day Saturday. of the week is it? I don't know where I Saturday. am. It's Saturday, Saturday right now. 
All right. So it's Saturday. Uh, I've got uh, my my final two player profiles are still to publish. That's starting uh, at the top of the week. Haley Ford and Sierra Don Thomas. That's a Monday and Tuesday for you guys. And then I will be all set Saving with that. Saving the best for last. Saving them for last. I feel like there's some good crosstalk. Like the the second half of every article where everyone's weighing in on, uh, on the player uh, who's being given the spotlight. I think that there's some fun stuff there for the Haley and Sierra pieces. Uh, but those are coming out on Monday and Tuesday. I will also i once again as i did out in second chance i drafted the survivors with jeff probst so i'll reveal the results of that on wednesday before the episode comes out um that's all on parade that's that's parade.com slash survivor or parade.com slash survivor game changers um i'm also going to be covering survivor at the hollywood reporter this year rob oh you know too too much breaking news music yeah, pull that back <laughs> Breaking news are happening now. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so so never too much Survivor coverage for Josh Wiggler. So I'll be bringing some Survivor coverage over to THR as well, where I'm writing about Game of Thrones and all that good stuff uh, as my most consistent gig right now. Um, so I've got an interview with Jeff that I, you know, I cited earlier uh, in this podcast. That's going to be going up on Monday. I think a really great uh, conversation with Jeff that's sort of a little evergreen, I think think gives you some insight into the way that Jeff looks at Survivor in broad terms. Also talking a little bit about Game Changers as well. Um, I'm going to have a cast preview on THR on, I believe, Tuesday, and that's going to be uh, a conversation that I had before the season started with Matt Van Wagenen, who is one of the executive producers of the show. So that's all preseason stuff. No fear of spoilers there. That'll be going up on Tuesday. And then Wednesday night, Rob, uh, after the episode airs, I may or may not have a thing that you'll want to read on The Hollywood Reporter as well. Um, so we'll keep that a little bit vague for now, but that might be a recurring weekly thing that's hitting over there. So that's THR.com slash Survivor. I'm still all Survivor so mode cryptic. all the time right now. So cryptic? I don't know. i got to leave something to be a I don't surprise. like secrets. I don't even like, I don't like surprises. <laughs> Russell, what are you talking about? It was a surprise that I didn't tell you. I didn't like that. Yeah, well, I think you'll like this. I think you'll like it. I got to keep some things close to the best, Rob. Okay. All right. So there you go. And of course, uh, we will be back with the Wiggle Room uh, yes. coming for next Monday here on the podcast. So, all right, Josh, uh, do we have a hashtag for our look back at CEOS? Well, if the if the TOS20 uh, hashtag was Little B Hat, doesn't it seem fair for this to be hashtag Old Little B Hat? <laughs> old Little B Hat. Uh, that's great. Never yeah. in my life will I get tired of that. Of that little, little B Hat. hat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That so, little you know, B hat is a big A plus. Sometimes I, I, I psych myself up. I'm like, I, maybe is it time to get another Russell interview on the books? But then oh I say God. it's, it's uh, like going into the lion's den. It'd be compelling. <laughs> I'm sure it wouldn't be dull. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Josh, uh, thank you so much. Uh, so great to catch up. If anybody wants to check out uh, TEOS uh, Chapter 20 or any of the chapters, you can get them all. Evolutionofstrategy.com. Of course, the first chapter all about heroes versus villains is completely free. And also, you can listen to the first part all about the heroes versus villains premiere for free 
at evolutionofstrategy.com. And there is no code that you need for that. That's available. That's available in the uh, RHAP store. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just in, in, you know, just on reflecting this, like powering through an 18 hour chapter of this in a week, like I said earlier, I don't know how you guys who listen to the evolution of strategy were able to do that on a weekly basis. So major credit to you, little B hats off to you guys. And thank you so much for, for all of that support. Uh, really means a lot. And it's really fun to go back and listen to this. Yeah. Stuff. And a couple of notes on that. Uh, 2X is your friend uh, when you are taking on yes. a subject like that. And also uh, just a big shout out to Eric Betzler, who designed the Rehap app, which I use to listen to the audiobook. Uh, that there yes, is a code yes. to unlock each chapter on the Rehap app in the audiobook section, uh, which Eric developed, which was very handy when you're listening to a long podcast like that. It's a lot easier than trying to uh, bring those uh, files onto your iPhone or whatever, however you're listening to that. So the Rehap app is your friend. So thanks again, Josh. We got so much more coming up. Nicole and I still have our cast preview, which we're going to get to you guys on Monday. And then Angie Kantz is coming by to do her character types for Survivor Game Changers. And then Survivor Know-It-All is coming Wednesday night as we kick off Survivor Game Changers. Looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.